Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T, and I'm wishing you guys all a great day. To anyone new, welcome to my channel. And if after listening to or watching this video, you find you learned something or you enjoyed it, please do me a favor and hit that like button. It helps so much. I want to get started with some news today. Apparently, the judge in Idaho has sealed the search warrant for suspect Brian Koberger's Pullman, Washington apartment because, and I quote, it could result in premature end of investigation, which could create a threat to public safety, end quote. What in the world does that mean? I don't know. I don't have the answer, but News Nation does. Take a listen. Happens to Betsy. I mean, I've seen search warrants sealed before, and it says we want to preserve the investigation. Period. And a story. But they used these this language that was, you know, prematurely end the investigation, threat to public safety. Darren, I'm going to start with you um, as a lawyer. What do you make of that language? Well, I think the threat to public safety is the idea that if they release the affidavit and the items that were actually seized, that it could compromise the investigation and that the individual that everybody is so confident actually committed the crime uh, may be able to dodge a bullet as a result. Uh, that the the integrity of the investigation would somehow be threatened. Although I hate to take the wind out of anybody's sails, but I'll just remind folks that are feeling this sense of relief as they go back to school that an arrest is not the same as a conviction. And uh, there's a very different standard of proof that's involved. And, and of course, that's one of the fundamental reasons why that uh, the information concerning the search warrant is kept under wraps. I don't think anybody's got the absolute answer as to why it was sealed, and we're just going to have to wait and watch. This week, starting on Sunday evening, all eyes on the Moscow, Idaho case turned to a series of TikToks by a young woman named Haley Willette. In the videos, Haley tells of being matched seven years ago with Brian Koberger on Tinder. The reason we haven't heard of her according to Haley, is that she wasn't closely following the case. It was only after happening upon Koberger's mugshot that she realized he was the same guy that she went on an uncomfortable Tinder date with in December of 2015 when she was in college. She told the Daily Beast, and I quote, As soon as I saw his mugshot, I knew. He just has an unforgettable face. End quote. Back then, Haley was a psychology student at Penn State Hazleton, and Koberger was also studying psychology at Northampton Community College in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Koberger graduated from that institution with an associate's degree in psychology in 2018. If Koberger were living at his parents' house at this time, he would have been 45 minutes from Haley's dormitory by car. After being matched with Koberger, Haley said she chatted with him all morning and afternoon on the day of their date, before Koberger mentioned he wanted to go to the movies and ask her to go with him. Per the article, Kaylee said that, although she doesn't remember what movie it was, she didn't really care to see whatever it was. Despite her disinterest in the movie, she agreed to go. She said, and I quote, I got off work and met him at the theater. He paid for my movie ticket, 
but he didn't want popcorn, so I ended up buying some for myself. We watched the movie, and then he said he would take me back to my dorm. End quote. She described Koberger at the time as being quiet but not shy, and I heard another of his friends from high school describe him in exactly that same way, quiet but not shy. Once they were at her dorm, he ended up parking his car in a move that she figured meant he just wanted to talk. After a while, she told him that she wanted to go to her dorm room to see if her roommate needed her, and he said he would come with her. Once inside, they sat down and started to pick another movie to watch. Haley claims that it was at this point Koberger kept trying to rub her shoulders and tickle her. Sounds to me like he was making a bid for more than a movie. According to Haley, when she called him out for this unwanted touching, Koberger got super serious and denied he was doing it. She described his behavior as follows, kind of trying to gaslight me into thinking he didn't touch me, which is weird, end quote. She decided she wanted him to leave. She said she didn't want to be mean, so she went in the bathroom and pretended to throw up loudly. Koberger, per Haley, waited outside the door for a minute or two and then sent her a message on Tinder to say that he was leaving. According to Haley, about an hour later, another text from Koberger arrived, and in it he told her that she had, and I quote, good birthing hips. She said she never replied back. Who could blame her with a comment like that? She described Koberger as being very polite and nice during the date, but then completely changing gears once in her dorm room. Now, I realize a lot of people are crawling out of the woodwork to talk about their interactions with Brian Koberger, and some might be seeking their 15 minutes of fame and making it up. But because of the specificity about the school Haley attended and the bit about the birthing hips, to me, that sounds like something you wouldn't make up. It sounds legitimate, like something a guy who is socially awkward and unaware might text thinking it's a wonderful compliment. What strikes me about Haley's alleged interaction with Koberger is the part where she said that when she confronted him about being too touchy-feely, he denied he'd done it. That's the same reaction that the owner of the Seven Sirens Brewing Company described getting from Koberger when he confronted him about being disrespectful to both the female customers and staff. The owner said that when Koberger turned up again and he showed his ID, the owner saw the notes in the system, and he asked Koberger if he was going to be well-behaved this time. And per the owner, Koberger said he had no idea what the owner was talking about and that he must have him mixed up with someone else. It sounds like Koberger is someone who can do something right in front of you, get caught red-handed, and then deny it so vehemently that you almost want to believe he's telling the truth. Wanting to try and understand Brian Koberger, I went on a deep dive into people who lie in this manner, as in, when getting caught or called out, they continue to lie. From what I discovered, 
what these two people who interacted with Koberger described was a pathological liar. As I read up on pathological lying, I learned that it can be a sign that a person suffers from antisocial personality disorder, otherwise known as psychopathy. And I think we already suspected Koberger might be a psychopath. But the more I hear about Koberger from former classmates and from what he wrote in the newly unearthed anonymous posts he made in 2011 when he was 16 to a message board for sufferers of visual snow syndrome, the more convinced I am that he is a psychopath and suffers from severe mental health issues. I keep thinking about what I heard clinical psychologist Dr. Gary Brucato say on the Surviving the Survivor podcast about the crime Koberger is accused of. Dr. Brucato stated that the sharp-edged object is key. What I think he meant by that was that the offender's choice of murder weapon, in this case, the knife, was key to understanding the offender. And Dr. Brucato said this before the police arrested Koberger, back when we were all trying to figure out what type of person could have done this. I wanted to better understand exactly what Brucato meant, so I decided to research what murderers' choices of weapons reveal about them. I found an article on psychologytoday.com entitled Profiling a Murderer by Dr. Deborah Sherman Coughlin. By the way, I'm going for broke in this video today and using all the words YouTube frowns upon because it's almost impossible to discuss this stuff without using the exact terms. I can't do this in every video or I'll never get any ad revenue, but today I'm doing it. Dr. Sherman Coughlin said that when people kill, they're filling complex psychological needs. She said this of murderers, and I quote, Sometimes they may steal when they kill, but from my experience of profiling serial predators and interviewing over 25 of them, I can tell you that homicide motivations are in their heads, not in their wallets. Because they kill for psychological reasons, many times they leave a lot of clues for profilers. There's almost always a lot of behavior present at a homicide crime scene. Many offenders want their crime scenes to look a certain way. They want a specific type of victim, and often there is heavy fantasy involvement in how they kill. Thus, much of their personality is left at a crime scene. End quote. Fascinating, right? Based on the three following items and reasons, I believe Koberger if he is the perpetrator, committed this crime because he wanted to know what it felt like to plan and commit murder. 1. The survey Koberger posted on Reddit, the one where he asked criminals to describe their thoughts and feelings when planning and committing crimes. 2. The newly unearthed posts Koberger is believed to have made in 2011 when he was 16 to a message board for people who suffer from visual snow syndrome. 
That's a rare neurological condition that affects the way visual information is processed by the brain and eyes. People with this condition see dots that look like static across their field of vision, and sometimes they experience migraines as well. In these posts, if it is him, Koberger comes across as a highly troubled young man. At age 16, he's talking about seeing himself and others as organic sacks of meat with no self-worth. Who describes people as organic sacks of meat? If Koberger is the perpetrator of the crime in Moscow, is this why he appears to have so easily and quickly done in four human beings with a knife? Were they just sacks of meat to him? The person posting also describes having to constantly battle his demons, wondering if he'll ever come back to reality, and hearing screams faintly. If this is Koberger, then he was clearly suffering some major mental health issues even back in 2011, which makes me wonder if he got help for this, if he told anybody, and if not, why not? Did his parents ever notice that he seemed down or depressed or that he was spending maybe too much time in his bedroom and not communicating? Personally, I believe Brian Koberger used a knife not just because it was easy to get and a quiet way to kill. I think Koberger wanted to be up close to his female victims. And yes, I think the targets of his crime were females. And he did this so that he could feel every sensation of what he was doing. I know that's so sick and twisted, but I think it's part of the motive and part of the truth. I see the knife being a conduit for Koberger, through which he vented a lifetime's worth of rage, frustration, hurt, and grudges, grudges mostly against females, that bullying in high school has to factor in to who Brian Koberger grew up to be. It's not the only reason he became a killer, but it definitely contributed to it. And I believe Koberger relished the power that came with the knife and with his plan of attack. He chose a time when the girls were likely both sleeping and intoxicated. He cornered them, Maddie and Kaylee, in a smallish bedroom and stood between the bed they were in and the door. This gave him every advantage and allowed him for once to make all the decisions he wasn't dependent on the girls giving him permission to enter. He just took the reins and forced his way in. In that moment, he was both the prom king he always wanted to be and God. I know that sounds melodramatic, but I really believe that's what was going down in that bedroom on the third floor and in Koberger's troubled mind. In the beginning, we were told the crime occurred between 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. Now we know from the probable cause affidavit that the offender attacked starting around 4.04 a.m. That sheds more light on what state Kaylee and Maddie were in at that time. Remember, they arrived home by 1.56 a.m. on Sunday, November 13th. 
Kaylee likely went in and got her dog Murphy and let him out to do what dogs need to do. Then she and Maddie maybe ate their pasta, then put on their pajamas or vice versa, and at some point they washed their faces, maybe brushed their teeth, and climbed into Maddie's bed. Maddie, who appeared to be more inebriated than Kaylee in that surveillance footage from Main Street in Moscow, perhaps fell asleep first while Kaylee kept trying to get her ex-boyfriend to pick up the phone. She kept dialing and dialing right up until 2.52 a.m. Maybe by 3 a.m., after those carbs kicked in, Kaylee was sleepy, put the phone down, and closed her eyes. That gave both Maddie and Kaylee about an hour in which to fall asleep. By 4.04 a.m., when the monster came into the room, Maddie was probably asleep. Kaylee, if she is the person Dylan M. heard saying, there's someone in here, maybe was only lightly sleeping and thus sensed movement and the sound of the door opening. I'm a light sleeper, so I'd totally pick up on those sounds and movements, and I think saying those words was the last thing Kaylee was able to do. From then out, the chaos was on, and it was a chaotic crime scene per the coroner. I think the offender was surprised to find two girls in that bed, and his meticulous plan flew out the window as he reacted to having to control two people. We know that he went downstairs, and there he somehow ran into Zana Kronodal, who was awake, and what happened in her bedroom with Ethan, we can only imagine. Koberger appears to have been driven to commit this crime by something in his head. He didn't go there to rob or essay the girls. If he had, I think he would have planned for that and done it. Koberger's motive, I believe, was multifaceted. He wanted to experience what it was like to plan a murder, use a knife, he wanted the experience of the act of killing, and by picking beautiful young women that he coveted but couldn't have, he wanted to hurt every female who had ever laughed at him, bullied him, thrown stuff at him, and rejected him. And he thought all of this would make him a superb expert in criminology perhaps even the world's foremost expert. In his delusions of grandeur, the sky was the limit. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories. Did you enjoy this? Did you learn anything? If so, please do me the kind favor of smashing that like button and subscribe to my channel. See you next time.